And welcome back to the Nudgecast. I'm your host, Phil Bean, co-founder and president at Nudge. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, you know, we usually talk about how we can best um, deliver engagement strategies, develop health and wellness programs, um, maximize digital coaching engagement, um, create the most effective population health management initiatives, and so on and so on. Very human and relationship-based problems or like professional-based problems and what, what people can do to kind of make the health and behavior change experience better. But today I'm talking to our head of product design, um, also kind of known as our director of user interface and user experience, Russ Campbell. Although we'll talk about some of those terms in the beginning to just kind of level set a little bit with you. But today I think, you know, I wanted to take this opportunity to let you behind the curtain a little bit and hear how we at Nudge think about product design decisions and design decisions within the kind of grander vision of enabling engagement and specifically what we mean by enabling engagement because God, is that a buzzword nowadays and has kind of lost its meaning between different, um, different uses from marketing to, you know, product usage to um, conversations, you know, um, whatever it may be. So I want to kind of hone in on, on what we look for. And the reason is, you know, there are two sides to um, health engagement, right? There's the, the practitioner, the coach, or the kind of person on the ground who is working with a member or client or patient to uh, make these changes in their life. And, you know, obviously there needs to be a great strategy in place there, something that we're very passionate about and most of our content is about. But we are a product company also. We have amazing software that we've really put a lot of time and thought into and learned throughout the kind of early days of digital health um, and the development of mobile health and, and products and, and how people engage in apps and wearables and stuff like that. Um, what works in terms of you know, what a product should do, what a product's role, what software's role is in enabling and empowering engagement between the practitioner and the end client, between um, our customers, whether that be you know, a multinational organization um, with patients all over the world or you know, in a small health coaching business working one-on-one with clients, um, using this digital tool to fill in the gap in between sessions. You know, what is the role of software and how can we design to empower engagement? How can we design for engagement? Um, so I'm talking to the right guy about that here. Russ Campbell is, for my money, the best designer on the planet Earth. Um, he's going to be mad at me that I said that, but hey, it is what it is. I'm allowed to exaggerate. It's my podcast. Um, so here we go. I have Russ with me now. Let's go over and uh, have a chat with him. All right, let's get to Russ. Russ, we're usually sitting down together having these conversations on a Friday. For everybody out there, we have a standing meeting every Friday between the two of us. Um, it's awesome for us, um, but we're recording this on a day other than Friday. So this could go any direction. So don't expect too much from us. Uh, we're going to get through it the best we can. But Russ, I've introduced you a little bit, but how about we kind of level set a little bit here and you want to give just like a quick rundown of, of your background and kind of where you're going to be coming from? Sure. Um, so I, I'd like to say that I've been designing in one capacity or another since I was in middle school um, and I was designing t-shirts for our sports teams. Uh, <laughs> and 
from there, um, I got to college, um, decided to major in graphic design with the intention of actually doing print work. Um, I think what I really wanted to be doing was designing uh, album art for bands. That's um, way cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to do something really artsy like that. But in reality, the truth was I was always kind of a computer nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess in college, I was kind of in denial of that. Um, so I was really trying to stick to print, traditional art major. Um, ended up taking an internship at an ad agency while still in school. And somehow ended up taking over their interactive side. Now, this was kind of the early days of the web. Um, so it was kind of easy to, you know, anybody that had any knowledge of, of how to write, you know, build a website and whatnot, got into that job pretty easy. Um, and I was excited just to have a job when I hadn't you know, finished school yet. So I ended up on the interactive side. And from there, you know, I did, once I moved to Nashville, I kind of did, I think I did the occasional kind of album art for the most part. From then on out, I was kind of, my destiny was kind of work on the interactive side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of made my way to different kind of agencies. Um, you know, I think uh, working at some different ad agencies and then I ended up kind of more on the product side when um, I took a job at Gibson Guitar and kind of headed up a lot of their interactive marketing. Um, and, and from there, slowly started making my way over to the product side uh, in terms of like uh, software products. I uh, really found that I think my core passion was really just for uh, solving, you know, complex design problems with software um, and kind of getting more into that side of things. So, uh, so I had, you know, the first kind of half of my career was in advertising and now for the last 10 years or so, I've really been in um, interactive kind of UI design space. And I think that's where, when we met, I was kind of basically a branch out of my own and was kind of taking clients. Mm-hmm. Not originally one of my clients that ended up taking up all my time. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> that, was, that was our plan all along. So um, yeah, we kind of sort of poached Russ from... Well, I guess you you were kind of freelancing, like you were saying, but you're working a lot with uh, a group that we were we were contracted with. I'll put it that way um, to get started in the early days. But let's uh, let's kind of get into, I guess, the core of what we're going to talk about today, which is you know anyone who's been listening to me ramble on for however many episodes we've done, including back when this was called the Scale Well Podcast, but now the Nudgecast. Um, you know that a big part of what we do is around developing for engagement. Um, so the goal being, you know, to build engagement t- between our customer and their clients, whomever they're working with to improve their health. So today, I think it's awesome that we get to talk about kind of the other side of the equation that we don't really touch on. We touch a lot on Russ when I'm, when I'm talking on these these episodes. I'm always talking about like, you know, from the practitioner perspective, you can do this to, you know, improve your engagement strategy or whatever. Really the human size, side and the communication side of engagement. But obviously there's been, you know, this kind of part of it that we've been leaving alone, at least for now. But I think it's really useful to kind of sh- start to share this with people is like, what's the role of the product in all of this? Like, how do we need to think about design, um, the design of our product and and how can we kind of 
set it up for success and success being defined as engagement in our perspective. So um, one of the things that I think is really cool about working with you is that you do things like develop your own design principles that we work from, which is like not every designer or whatever the hell you want to call a designer is going to do that. (laughs) So like there's some real purpose and vision to what, to what Russ works on. And I thought it'd be really cool to go through these together. So I'm going to go ahead and go through them really quick, just say the names of them. And then we're just going to dive right in and try to talk through each one of them and see how it goes. Okay. Um, so here's what we got. We got principle number one, and these are in, are these in any particular order, Russ? Should I, should I say them in order? Uh, yes and no. Yeah. Yes and no. In order. Whatever. I'm going in order. Principle number one is reliability, basically meaning it has to work. That's kind of self-explanatory. Hopefully most of these are self-explanatory. Um, but you know, like I said, we'll dive deeper. Um, second one, continuity meaning nothing is unique without reason. Third, we'll have simplicity, which is like the world's biggest buzzword in software development. But we're going to tell you specifically what we mean by that, which is going to be, I think, interesting for everybody to hear. Fourth one is quality. Um, Obviously, we want this to be um, worthy of its cost to exhibit attention to detail. And then our last principle, which is kind of like the pillar of everything, is again, bringing it back to engagement. And this is kind of the purpose, kind of a principle, but the idea is that it strengthens the relationship between our customer who's using the platform and their um, client or the consumer on the other end who's, you know, in it to improve their health. So there we go. We've, we've set, um, we've kind of set the tone here. We have reliability, continuity, simplicity, quality, engagement, reliability comes first. So I think... When we think about reliability, and you, you kind of sent me the definitions for these, which I loved because they're so concise, um, which if I had my own set of principles that I worked from, conciseness would be number one. <laughs> um, you, call, you, you said that reliability means it dependably performs as expected. So like, and, and this, like you said, is kind of listed first for a reason. So I'm curious, why would reliability come first out of all of these? Yeah, there's kind of, within that statement, dependably performs as expected, there's kind of two parts of that. One is um, the purely functional part, which is kind of like you said, like if there's like a show-stopping bug, if the thing just doesn't work, then all the the rest of this is irrelevant, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's that. There's also the as-expected part, which is going to get into a little bit of what are, what are the user's expectations going into it? Um, that could come from past experience. That could come from a sales conversation. Um, there's, there's so much that goes into that in, in terms of trying to break down what is someone expecting? Why is kind of where that other buzzword comes in of, of something being intuitive or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the two parts of it. So I think you got to start off thinking um, at the forefront of our mind has to be that the software, the product's got to be reliable. Yeah. Um, it, it needs to, you know, the servers need to stay up. It, the, they don't need to encounter bugs that's, you know, where it just doesn't work. Um, and, and we need to design in a way that is manageable on our end too, so that we can, we can hold up that, that side of the equation. 
Yeah. Um, for but sure, the, for the sure. expectations part is, is certainly a lot more trickier. And that's kind of where we have to kind of deep dive and trying to understand who our users are and what they expect. And, and, you know, a lot of that, like I said, the, the biggest component of that tends to be past experience. Yeah. Um, so when we're trying to, when I'm trying to like design for uh, what someone's going to find intuitive, I have to do a lot of finding comparable services or products that people may have used that they may not be in the same industry as us. But I think we're, we're doing a lot of things really unique um, and, that, and, and tackling problems that haven't exactly been tackled before. But I'll try to find, I, I have to look at things like Facebook and where people are spending a lot of their time. If they're communicating through, you know, a platform like Facebook, they may naturally expect certain features within our, our communication, you know, tool mm-hmm. set. So, yeah. Um, that's that's interesting. The expectations piece is such a combination between just kind of intuition and what you're seeing in other successful, I guess, experiences that are out there, right. um, which is, is definitely interesting. I think something you mentioned there also alludes to what you said earlier about kind of everybody in the company being uh, a UX person in a way. Um, kind of like the the sales conversation that's leading into, you know, the person purchasing and then creating this experience and the expectations that are associated associated with it afterwards. Um, all of that is packed into this little reliability principle, um, kind of meeting expectations because it gets kind of dangerous when you when you get outside those from a design perspective, trying to keep someone engaged. Right. And and if you and I think one of the key components, we talk a lot about, you know, what's at stake with each with each one of these principles. And with this one, it's really the person's sense of trust mm-hmm. with our product or services or whatever. Um, if, if we're not reliable, then people, you know, will tend not to, to put trust and, and effort into, you know, into our product. So. Yeah, yeah. And trust is like a obvious like um vehicle for engagement to like once trust is broken then engagement is is pretty much broken too um just within the context of of relationship that we're trying to power through our product right um so if like if you think about it from a marketing perspective too which some of you might be more familiar with um you know you put out things like blogs or free content or hell something like a podcast this is all about building trust, you know, that we know what we're talking about here as much as, you know, putting great information out there. Yes, there's kind of a benevolent purpose to all of this where, you know, we really just want to put great information out for the in, in the industry and get people to kind of buy into the idea of using digital tools effectively. But, you know, it really is in terms of the kind of customer experience, the long term, you know, about building trust. So, um you know, that's a, a huge vehicle for engagement, which is obviously what we're going to end with here. But all right. Um, anything else on on reliability you want to point out? While we're well, one thing is kind of an old adage I was just thinking about was you're talking is about how, um, you know, trust is uh, lost a lot easier than it's gained. You know, oh, yeah. it takes a long time to gain trust, but it can be lost pretty quickly. I think I'm starting to feel better about, okay, this is the reason why this is number one at least the first one, it's not necessarily the most interesting uh, or the most unique, but it's, um, it's something that we should definitely keep in mind because it's something that it's good. It's, it's more about our habit and practice over the long term than it is about. So 
we have to be really diligent with this one, right? Yeah, this is as much about avoiding that bad experience as it is about anything else, right? Right. Yeah, it's, it makes me think of restaurants, right? It, like, it's one of those businesses where one one bad experience can kill it, you know, for, mm-hmm. for a person. Is it, the the amount of effort it takes and and what goes into making that choice of where you're going to eat on a particular night. Um, you have one really, really bad experience, then it's more than likely it's easier for you to skip on that, right? Oh my God, yeah. Think about how many times you've had that conversation like, oh, let's go so-and-so. No, that waiter was an asshole last time I went there. <laughs> yeah, this one, you know, you get food poisoning once, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's give them a try. Yeah. I think they probably sorted that out. <laughs> Not something you hear a lot. Plenty of other restaurants. We'll just move on. <laughs> okay. Um, so reliability, we've set the tone. We're avoiding these bad experiences. Um, you know what? I think I always get these out of order. So I'm going to refer yeah, back. You flip these two. That's okay. <laughs> I'm gonna. So I'll skip ahead to continuity, which is the second one. Am I right? <laughs> well, see, I have this the third one, but. It, you know, I feel that strongly about the order of these two. So. Good, good. That's what I like to hear. This is your podcast. <laughs> Don't forget it, Russ. <laughs> you move All right, so continuity is the one we're going to talk about next, um, which your definition for this is nothing is unique without reason, yes. which is really interesting, and we need to try not to talk for 30 minutes just about this one. Um, so... Continuity, nothing is unique without reason. It's interesting, right? Like from a like at least art perspective, a design perspective, you might expect that like, oh, uniqueness is always good. Um, so starting from just that perspective, that's, that's a pretty interesting concept. Um, and there are a bajillion reasons why I think this is a key principle. Where do we start? Efficiency. Um, you know, design is also about, you know, what's a, what we're able to develop in an efficient way. Design is also about, you know, what meeting those expectations. There are a lot of things we could run with here. So I guess what kind of jumps off the page about continuity to you? Like what's the first thing you think of when you're thinking about continuity? Well, the first thing I think about is probably what it's trying to avoid. <laughs> yeah. Which is... um Which is actually, so when I wrote this principle, I was thinking about a very specific issue um, where we had, because we had kind of developed pieces of our our platform at different times, um, we had like variations and which actually still exist. Some, some still exist today and we're trying to kind of work, work through these right now, but the way we're presenting information to the client versus how we're presenting it to the coach um, is there's kind of slight variations in that, which could actually lead to kind of communication issues because we're not looking at like between like the client and the coach, they're not necessarily looking at the exact same thing. We have to design both halves of the product a little bit differently because one's taking place on a, mostly on a really small screen, you know, mobile device. The other one's taking place on a, on a generally on a desktop and those experiences being different can actually create some, some issues in the relationship because they're looking at something differently. Um, and so 
it, it was really the principle was written with the goal of, in mind, first and foremost, of trying to keep those pieces between the, the that are kind of coming into that relationship as having as much continuity as possible because it's, it's supposed to be a shared experience. Um, and we don't want them to go like, hey, you know how, uh, you know, this on this day you had this many servings of, of vegetables and it's above that line or whatever, below that line. And like the client's saying, well, I don't see a line. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's like, wait, are we talking about the same thing here? Or, uh, you know, stuff like that. So I think that's really where it's most important. The other side of it is, is actually just kind of a, in terms of product development that, uh, pieces being unique at the end of the day it costs money honestly uh, and, and, and costs more time to develop but I think from a user experience standpoint it creates a system that has unnecessary complications that's harder to manage and the harder it is for us to manage it and keep our heads around it the more likely we're going to have reliability problems um, because there's all these unique little pieces that we have to make sure still work right and the idea is not to create something that's totally uniform. Um, that's boring. Um, that's not a great experience either necessarily. Um, but it's just, it's just saying that like, if, if we're making, it, it's really just trying to be really intentional. Right. Yeah. And this is the, that's where it really comes into use. Right. It's like, this is a powerful tool for making decisions on your end. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so when we go, we've talked about this a lot because we've fallen in these bad habits of, you use two fonts that are basically the same <laughs> uh, with no reason except the fact that, you know, you weren't really being intentional about it. You just kind of, you know, you pick one one day and the next day you're like, oh, that looks good. You just do that. Um, and that's, that, that's a pretty low, uh, a low cost sort of, there's not, that's not going to cause any major detriments to anybody's, you know, perception of our product or anything like that. But it, it does, it does affect like that feeling of just the whole thing being intentional. Um, it really even gets kind of into quality things, right? Like the, um, the those things are, I, I do believe are perceived on some level um, mm-hmm. when we experience them. And, and when things have a really nice flow to them, a nice continuity, um, I, I feel like our brains are having to process every little bit of this unique, you know, yeah. trying, trying to make sense of it. And so just trying to alleviate, like remove the ones that are not intentional, right? So yeah, yeah. what's the reason? <laughs> yeah, what's the reason? The without reason bit of nothing is unique without reason is kind of the important part of this, right? It's like, mm-hmm. yes, you know, when it, all, when it makes sense, we're going to kind of default to continuity. But when there's an important reason something should stand out or be different, you know, then obviously there's going to be some uniqueness that we need to to put in place. And that's not going to disrupt the experience because that thing needs to stand out at somewhere where someone maybe needs to take action. Right. Right. And, and the reason could be that it's delightful, you know, yeah. <laughs> it could be, yeah. well, why, why does this animate this way? Why does it do that little bouncy thing? Like, well, because it's fun because it, it's like, it's kind of a delightful thing to see. And so that, that, that can be a reason. Um, but yeah. So. Yeah. And that gets us kind of to where, you know, that that type of uniqueness engages in and of itself because it's it's interesting in the right way, right? Um, right. It kind of grabs attention and eventually, you know, while it's nice for like 
like you were saying, a lot of this information to be processed kind of automatically without someone having to, you know, notice something different. Um, that's, that's obviously balanced with the fact that you are trying to engage someone and keep them in here to some extent and notice the right things. So the right things need to pop and, and, uh, be interesting enough to, to grab attention. Um, so I think it could be a good place to transition into simplicity, which is either the second or third principle, depending on how you're looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the funny thing about simplicity is that it could be the biggest buzzword of all time, um, at least in kind of the software world where we operate. Um, and that's obviously for good reason, right? Like people are, are finally beginning to realize if they hadn't already that, you know, complicating a consumer experience is just a fool's errand from the get-go. But um, what we mean and what you mean, Russ, I guess, when you're talking about simplicity, the, your definition is to reduce choice while maximizing utility, which as an econ major, I could just go on forever about how much I enjoyed that, um, <laughs> maximizing utility. Um go into a whole conversation about utilitarianism. No one wants to listen to that. Um, so I think this is really interesting because I think this could like, this has all kinds of implications, like reducing choice. Why is reducing choice important? I guess let's start there. Why is it important to reduce choice? It makes us make more effective decisions with the choices we do have. Um, and I think it's important for, um, and we talked a little bit about, you know, the exercising kind of the UX discipline and, and basically trying to design empathy and think about who people are. Um, sometimes we, we tend to think of that in a very personal way. Like I need to think about this person's background or what's the demographics for a user. I'm even just thinking about the fact that we're humans, you know, and trying to understand how the human brain works and understanding that like, to function, we have to filter out tons and tons of information on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, you know, like you take apparently things like schizophrenia um, and autism are actually linked to a, a failure and an ability to uh, filter out certain stimuli, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so knowing that a person trying to accomplish a particular task their brain is naturally going to be trying to constantly filter things out that it finds irrelevant to that task. If we present too much choice, um, too many stimuli basically in the interface, um, it, we're increasing the odds that, that they're going to filter out the wrong things. Mm -hmm. um, and they're not going to get the result they want um, or the result we want, or, you know, it's just not going to be kind of a successful interaction. Um, and, and, and then also just thinking about someone's just overall well-being uh, and, and their feet, talking about their feeling towards using the software and whether it's a pleasant experience or not, the, the more choice that we can reduce for a person, um, just the better experience we're going to have uh, and the better that experience is going to feel. Um, this is definitely my favorite principle. <laughs> so yeah. I, I could talk about this one forever. Um, but I think I think it, just seeing it as reducing choice is like a really key insight. And so I, I, I try to really make myself realize that um, 
every little option, every little label in the interface represents a choice that has to be made. Every distinction between two things is a choice that has to be made. Um, and I also think about how um, when we increase choice, we also kind of increase, uh, well, you, you've probably heard of it, like the, um, what's called like the burden of overchoice. Mm-hmm. Right? Have you heard about yeah. like, or, or choice paralysis? There are a lot yeah, of like, choice paralysis. like that. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of go to buy toothpaste and there's like 50 different options. <laughs> like, do I want the extra bright whitening or do I want like, you know, dentist approved cleaning, whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's like, well, it, I don't know. This is too much. Right. Um, and so, yeah, most people just in, in that scenario, right. They say like, you just default to the cheapest thing or whatever. Like your brain has to find some shortcut to like make the decision. Yeah, exactly. And it uh, takes, the, the idea is too that, you know, it's taking some level of energy even, right? You know, like you kind of, and and this, I don't want to go totally down this rabbit hole because I know there's some debate about this, but like, you know, there's an argument to be made that you only have so much dis- decision-making capacity in a given day or whatever, you know, like he, like right. that will, willpower is kind of a, a uh, limited resource to some extent before you kind of um kind of recharge yourself um and i think this kind of like touches on the most base like simple way where where it starts right just removing as much choice as possible if it's something that you want someone to engage with on a regular basis yeah i mean one of my favorite examples of this was uh, i think steve jobs was like a master of of eliminating choice for himself. And that's kind of where the iconic black turtleneck and jeans comes from, mm-hmm. um, is that he basically eliminated that arbitrary choice of, choice of wardrobe, basically what he's going to wear every single day um, to save it for the really big decisions. You know, and I think that was probably one of his biggest contributions was that he wasn't really a hands-on product designer, mm-hmm. but he was great at having those instincts making the right decisions. And it was because he was just, eliminating just tons and tons of choice that we kind of take for granted that we waste that energy every day um making these these choices that are at the end of the day more or less arbitrary absolutely and i'd probably get yelled at if i didn't mention this my dad's a physicist just in case anyone's wondering where this is coming from but i know einstein is famous for the same thing he wore a gray suit every day and obviously you're familiar with the crazy hair like he just didn't touch his hair wore the same outfit every day, basically had a uniform. Um, and th- it was because of the same thing. He wanted to remove choice from the beginning of his day because he had to, you know, dedicate so much of his mental capacity to his work on a daily basis. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's just huge. I mean, you really, it's just, yeah, you can't, this, this is to me, like I said, it's, it's one of the most key design principles that's, uh, it's, yeah, just a constant reminding myself that to not take for granted like what choice costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we'll leave that one, even though we could obviously talk about it forever. And, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I could probably talk about Einstein forever too. So <laughs> let's just move past this. Um, the next principle is quality. Am I am I back in order now? Yeah, <laughs> nailed it. 
All right. Um, quality. I'm going to say it with confidence. Um, <laughs> so the idea behind quality, and let me know if I misspeak on any of this, is that the product exhibits attention to detail, right? Like it creates an experience that's worthy of its cost, which mm-hmm. I think is bringing in some kind of newish concepts into what we're talking about today as far as these principles. Um, but why is it important that it's worthy of, it seems worthy of its cost? Is that just, you know, for a high end product or is that for any product? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's important for, for any product that's wanting people to pay for it. Right. I think (laughs) value is value is like mostly perception. Um, and it's, it's something that people disagree about a lot, you know, what something's worth to them. It's a very personal thing. Um, and so it's, it's kind of taking certain things and, and this principle is sort of written so that I feel like there's certain things that we haven't really addressed yet with the other principles, which is something as simple as there being a, a typo or a spelling error in something. Yeah. Um, which isn't really a, a simplicity problem. It could be maybe argued as a reliability problem, but, but it's still functional. You know, that's, yeah. you can, uh, if you start those exercises where you kind of like take all the vowels out of words and different things and like your brain's ability to basically fill in the gaps. Yeah. It's not breaking the understanding, but it's something people notice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it ultimately like ends up impacting that sense of, of value. Um, and so it, it's something that it's another discipline thing. Um, and yeah, it, ultimately it, it, again, it, it affects someone's trust um, as well. You know, uh, it's a tough one for me. <laughs> talked about this before. I, I've kind of, I, I struggled with this one a little bit in terms of, uh, cause I, I think so I design so intuitively. Um, so I'll get so wrapped up in how something feels um, and, and even the way a word looks, uh, mm-hmm. on a page and won't be analyzing the exact content. <laughs> <laughs> I always run everything by you and say, what do you think? You know, uh, yeah. a copy that you don't look at, uh, I can just say those letters look really nice. <laughs> yeah. That's, I think that's so hilarious. So Russ is like a sneaky, good copywriter. The thing is, he doesn't necessarily spell the words that he's putting on the page correctly because he's worried about what they look like. You know? Yeah, it's, well, it goes back to that focus thing, right? It's, it's. I, I have a task which is making good. Like I want it to look good and feel good. You know. Yeah. As long as that's what I'm focused on, my brain starts filtering out, uh, thinking about you know analyzing the spelling. Basically, it's like well, yeah. that, that's irrelevant. That actually is sort of relevant to how it feels. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're just looking at it. You know, but but obviously when you start reading it, if it has spelling errors, then you go, oh, wait a second. Yeah, um, that's that's cheap. It didn't take the time to proofread those, you know? Yeah. No, that, that totally makes sense. I think the quality thing is like, this is where all of this is a balancing act, right? There, Some of these principles are kind of not necessarily inherently contradictory, but do you run up against each other constantly? So mm-hmm. like quality versus simplicity for example like quality versus continuity even um you know where it 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 takes some intuition to decide where to pour in the quality aspect right um it's 
that's it's probably the hardest thing to describe would be where do you like focus and find the bits that that need you know to exhibit real real quality and a real like exact like extra experience you know something extra yeah i mean in terms strictly in terms of the product like quality is always the final phase of things for me mm-hmm. once you kind of the design is basically done. It's that going back over it. It's rereading the email you just wrote to somebody. You know, it's it's you, you've got the flow and all that figured out. You know what you want to say. You put all that down. It's just kind of going back over it, spending a little time to make sure it's you know polished and, and done well. Yeah, quality is proofreading for the product designer. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I like that. Awesome. Good. I'm glad we made sense of that one then. That, that actually makes me feel good about myself. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's go ahead and move on to like the, the final principle or the foundation that all the principles sit on top of. I'd be interested to hear kind of how you would place this exactly. But everything we do is about engagement, right? So your definition for this was just that it strengthens the relationship between the customer and the consumer. This is in the end what the product is designed to accomplish. It's its purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, do you think about this as a separate principle or is this like an underwriting theme or the, a purpose? Like what, how do you think about just engagement fitting in with all these other principles that we've gone through? It's definitely a, it's a goal. Um, mm-hmm. and we've talked this before. I mean, like the, the word engagement can conjure a lot of different things in people's minds, right? Like, Mm-hmm. Um, some people would maybe tend to think of this in terms of marketing. Yeah, um, this has the same problem that simplicity has in terms of it being kind of a buzzword that's lost its meaning to some extent. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's easy to, to kind of substitute, you know, the word attention or something like that, um, that we're just trying to get people's attention or trying to get some of the eyeballs or whatever. Um, and, and that's where I like this definition of really trying to think about it in terms of, at the end of the day, we're talking about a relationship between two mm-hmm. So we're talking about the relationship between like the practitioner, the coach, and their client. Um, and really trying to be sensitive to what happens when you put software in, in between people. Um, so, you know, I think with social media and things like that, we've seen some of the negative impacts and positive impacts, you know, of what happens when you interject software in human relationships, you know. Um, but we're not trying to kind of game it, right. For advertising or attention or we're not trying to have a play in the attention economy or whatever. Mm -hmm. We're really trying to at the end of the day, uh, strengthen this relationship. Um, so it's something you have to be really sensitive to. And so, um, yeah, I'm just always trying to to remind myself of that. And, And also, so whenever I'm designing a feature, implementing it, you think, okay, what's the positive, potential positive and negative impact mm-hmm. in terms of the relationship? So I think about, okay, like the graph example I gave, okay, like, well, if this lacks continuity, how could that create a misunderstanding between these two people? Right. Um, which, you know, negatively affects engagement, negatively affects their relationship. Uh, and what a terrible thing for like, the software to do. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah i mean obviously anyone who's listening to this is gonna echo that immensely but like 
this is a, a part of the reason, you know, we wanted to put this out there is I think, you know, it's worth thinking about whether the software you're using is getting in the way and what about it might be getting in the way. And, you know, this is, this conversation is a little bit of a toolkit for how you might identify those pieces and maybe make suggestions to whomever you're working with on, on this or that, or, um, you know, whatever else that leads you to do. If, if you come and talk to nudge about it, that's totally fine too. But, um, I mean, it's, it's key, right? One of the biggest things we have to do is make sure that we're not doing anything to get in the way of strength, strengthening the relationship. Like you said. Yeah. I mean, I think software is really good at, and generally people that, you know, are good at making software are really good at, at thinking in terms of efficiency. Um, but there's just kind of like an example um, of something that, that we've learned uh, through the process of, of, you know, being like a few years in now to developing this product is when it came to how people kind of log their behaviors, right. And input data. Um, originally we had a very efficient, you know, our focus was a lot on efficiency mm-hmm. um, and trying, trying to be simple, right? So we had a very simple logging interface and that appealed to a lot of people, but it was also designed primarily with kind of efficiency in mind. So, you know, we're trying to reduce taps, right? Like reduce the amount of steps the person has to do to record that stuff because we want to make it just easy and, 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 and whatnot. Um, but what, what we realized over the long term was that when every part of our software, including this logging interface, um, when you put it in, in the middle of this relationship, every single thing on the screen was interpreted by the client as something they were supposed to do. So, so here's kind of an example. So when it came to logging, let's say... Um, someone's eating habits or drinking habits. Uh, the most efficient thing to do is to kind of give them all the things that they might drink right there on the screen, right? So yeah. Yeah. Water and tea and coffee and all these different buttons. Um, and they're all just right there. So if you want to log water, you just tap water. If you want to log coffee, you just tap coffee. It's just right there, very efficient. But what happened was in the context of this relationship, the client was seeing it as, Oh, every time I drink a coffee, I got to tap this thing. Every time, it, it, every single one of those buttons represented something else they had to do. And they also represented something else the, the coach or practitioner was asking them to do. So it was like increasing the sense of like the obligation in that relationship. Yeah. Which is not the way either person wanted things to go. You know, no one wants just another thing they have to do. Um, so that's kind of where, you know, we're working on some stuff right now that's really trying to to hone in on that and think less in terms of efficiency and more in terms of just, um, again, like we're constantly reshaping the product around this idea of understanding that this is ultimately a relationship between two people and we're, we're wanting to facilitate that and, and strengthen it where we can and not, not complicate it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great example too. And um, yeah, I think, one thing that people will be interested to hear is the fact that like, you know, we've, we've learned these principles and they've developed kind of over time, right. As we've been, you know, kind of in the trenches in digital health and seeing how consumers are engaging and see how engagement happens between um, the practitioner, the care manager, the coach and the client um, and kind of 
reacting to that, but also seeing like drilling down to the core, the root cause of like what's affecting those interactions and what's affecting engagement. And I think that's what these principles kind of lay out, but um, the big uh, thing that we have coming up, I guess, is the fact that we're, you know, beginning to make progress on the first, I guess, full redesign of the platform that we've done. I don't know. Is this the fir- first full redesign we've done of the platform period, Russ? I think so. To this yeah. Extent, yeah. yeah. I think everything's been more or less just, and this is still kind of an, an evolution in a way, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Um, but certainly going back to the drawing board and a few key pieces of the, of the, the equation and really rethinking them. Cause we've, like you said, this was, this was, this has been a process. Um, we didn't kind of come to these principles all at once. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, been a continual process of, of trying to solve problems and reflecting on, you know, how, how we succeeded and how we didn't. Um, yeah. And I think we're, we're yeah. kind of working in, you know, we've, it's, it's always fun and exciting. I think people need to realize that, you know, we're working in a space that's a little bit new and, you know, concepts like digital coaching or, you know, whatever you want to call it, virtual coaching, online coaching, like, yeah, it's existed, but nobody's, you know, built the kind of roadmap for doing it in an optimal way. Um, no one knows the rules of it yet. Um, and, you know, we're kind of at this interesting point where we've had our feet on the ground and have been involved with so many population health initiatives, digital coaching initiatives that we're starting to be able to tie these threads together, right? And and see what's really powering digital relationships that are being managed in this way and like how to enable them. And it puts us in an interesting spot, obviously, because we're basically, you know, for all intents and purposes, developing the art and science of engagement as we go. And that's just kind of a... Um, kind of a, a, you know, tangent to everything that we do, like our core business is just the fact that we have to develop the best practices for this industry too, which has been awesome. Uh, but it sure as hell is a, a challenge too. So it's why it's so cool to see, like, I think your principles written out for, for what's important in design when you're designing to strengthen relationships, when you're designing for engagement. I think that's, it's an interesting aspect of what we do. Yeah, most most software right now is trying to design and develop personal touch out of the equation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's, it's moving towards automation, AI-driven things. Um, we're the ones that are, I don't know, that's what, what makes us so unique is, is really trying to design with, with human touch sort of being like the, the personal touch being like the, the centerpiece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, it's very different. Yeah, it's a different vision for sure. Like, do you, you know, you have to at some point choose choose the vision that you're starting with. Do you want to design out, go for max efficiency, right, and design out the practitioner entirely and just build this fancy AI? Um, do you believe that that can be done effectively? Which, right. you know, we currently, for all intents and purposes, don't. Um, our mission is to really you know, do everything that we can to empower the practitioner to best manage engagement and best engage someone because we believe human accountability in the end is the driving force of engagement when it comes to health and something like this. 
Um, so like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's so true. And it does come down to kind of that initial vision, which is kind of underlying all these principles that we talked about. Right. Yeah. Yep. All right, Russ. So we've covered a lot. We've covered five principles. Yes. They're five principles. I'm having trouble with order and numbers today. Uh, Maybe (laughs) it's a Tuesday morning thing, but, um, we've covered the principles. I think this has been pretty awesome conversation. I hope people have gotten a lot out of it. Um, you have anything else just kind of like top of mind that you think is relevant to this that we should just kind of put out there for people to think about? I mean, no, I think we could all stand to be a little more intentional about what we do, ask ourselves some questions. I feel like that's kind of the, the big thing that's behind these principles. It's, it's not trying to create a set of rules. Um, it's really more about just trying to ask ourselves the right questions. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of reflect on our experience, be honest about how things are, are kind of panning out. Um, yeah. And just, yeah, designing with empathy, you know, designing with who we are, uh, who we're designing for, um, kind of at the forefront of our minds. So. Yeah, that's awesome. That comes to like, obviously product design, but, you know, that is relevant to program design, designing with empathy, designing with the other person in mind, how can I put myself in their shoes? How are they going to experience this program? Um, am I throwing too much choice at them, for example? Um, you know, what can I do to make this a better experience? So like you said in the beginning, and it comes for full circle, everybody has a role and plays a role in user experience. Not just you. You're not the uh, president or emperor of user experience. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally fine with that. Yeah, let's <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad that came full circle. Well, Russ, I really appreciate it. And I'm probably going to make you do this again at some point. So um, I apologize in advance. I know this isn't like your your main gig. (laughs) I I think I've enjoyed it. Awesome. Awesome. I'm a little apprehensive at first because I'm pretty introverted and and I spend a lot of time in the lab, as we like to call it. Yeah, yeah. Working on some big picture idea stuff. You're welcome, world. I'm just getting all the lab geeks out to to share their insights from what they've been doing on the inside all this time. <laughs> awesome. Well, Russ, I appreciate it. We'll uh, talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you to Russ. Thank you to all the guys over here at Nudge letting me interrupt them from their very important work to talk about some very interesting things and kind of educate everybody out there about what's going on in our work in population health and then building out health engagement science. Um, obviously, this show, The Nudgecast, always brought to you by nudgecoach.com. Um, if you guys pop over to our website, nudgecoach.com slash learn, um, that'll take you straight to basically all of our content. We have plenty of great written content there. Next week, we're going to be talking to Dan Hemke uh, for an episode of what I call C-Suite. We're going to be talking about some really kind of big picture healthcare issues where engagement fits fits into the whole population health management movement and um, where it fits into the whole kind of value chain. So looking forward to that conversation and looking forward to having you all back with me again next week. We'll talk to you soon.